Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Hi, Sybil. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. Uh, you and I have had some uh, challenges getting this scheduled. I apologize for the ups and downs in getting this scheduled. That's what happens during the summer months. Uh, I think it's been a busy summer. It's been a uh, slightly overwhelming summer for a lot of us. Um, but uh, I think things are settling down, feeling a little somewhat normal around here. I hope the same thing for you. Uh, Before we dive into our conversation, Sybil, how about we just ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, great, Jason. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Sybil Ackerman Munson, and I started a program called Do Your Good, and it's all about supporting donors to give their money away to nonprofits effectively and to support nonprofits in helping to raise money effectively. And the reason I'm doing this is I have sort of over two decades of experience working both as a nonprofit professional, help, you know, where I was raising money. And now for the last over a decade, I've been working with donors, helping them give their money away effectively. And so pretty much every day I get pitches from nonprofits. And so I just have so much information and I want to share it. I want to share it so that people can, in this field, raise even more money for the important causes out there. So you and I have been in, uh, Sybil, you and I have both been in this space about the same amount of time. I've been in uh, since the beginning of the 20th century, 21st century as well, right around this time. <laughs> right, I actually started fundraising nine months before, uh, six months before September 11th. So that was sort of the oh, wow. those big markers, tragic yeah. markers nonetheless. But, but a lot of us who've been in it for a couple of decades can sort of recall that we were in, in our first couple of years of doing this work. But Sybil, before we dive into the topic of discussion, have you noticed that the donors that people like yourself and myself, you know, that's what we might call sort of the the World 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 War II veteran sort of generation, the sort of Great Society generation, those sorts of folks, and the baby boomers who are sort of 
emerging as sort of our major donors today. Have you started to really pick up on some of the major differences between the, that two generations? Because that's the general; those are the two generations that you know. That's where we started for a lot of us, like you and I. But then the boomers—that's it's a whole different ball game. Oh, so much, Jason. You're so right. So. You know, I work with lots of different generations. Also in families, there's different generations in the family itself. And it's really, really interesting. So at least my observation is the generation before, you know, the older generation, what they are really thinking about is it's a much more traditional way of giving grants. So there's more of like a formal foundation where there's an office that grantees or nonprofits have to come and pitch their their interest. It's very much more formal. It's the feeling that work gets done in the office. Um, there's much more formalized, like, trustee meetings. And actually, that really, I'm glad you're asking the question, Jason, because it matters if you're a fundraiser, if you know the kind of uh, organization you're trying to raise money with. Yes. Whereas baby boomers and the folks bef- even younger than that, because there's a whole new generation of wealth coming up. Yeah, They're much more, and again, it's not across the board, but they're much more interested in innovative solutions to funding. And so if you approach baby, bo- baby boomers or yeah. the younger generation of wealth with sort of the creative, entrepreneurial, out-of-the-box, more risky kind of gr- grant making, they tend to get more excited about that. Um, because they see more of like a changing world. They don't tend to have offices as easily accessible. It's much more about like knowing the donor personally, that kind of thing, rather than looking on a website or a directory to try to find like, which are the foundations that we may meet their guidelines for? And so it's actually can be a much trickier world yeah. as a nonprofit fundraiser um, in the, in the earlier, in the younger generations to sort of find the folks. But the thing that's sort of more fun about it is that it's less formalized. So if you're a creative thinker and you're a go-getter, you can really, really uh, capitalize on a lot of new wealth that you wouldn't have been able to get if you were just looking at the traditional. All right, Sybil. So we ask our guests to come on with a big idea or bold opinion. And uh, you were almost about to let the cat out of the bag before we hit the record button. And I said, no, 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 no. I want to let you, uh, I, want you to, <laughs> I want you to hold on to that. And, uh, and, and you, you, you scratched my curiosity just enough that I'm sitting here sort of on the edge of my seat anticipating what these uh, three personalities are. So tell me, what, uh, tell me what your big idea or bold opinion is and let's unravel it this morning. Yeah, no, I, I love this question because here's the thing. When I started being a funder, when I moved over to being a funder um, from being a nonprofit professional, I went over there and I was just all excited and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been a nonprofit person forever. Of course I can give money away. But, you know, it's really hard to do it effectively. And when I started, I had all of these different experienced donors and philanthropists tell me, Sybil. There is one way to fund, and this is the way it is. And they would like lay it out for me. And then I'd have another person pull me aside and be like, Sybil, there's one way to fund, and this is the way it is. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is totally different from the one that somebody else just talked to me about before. And I'm just like, man, this is in this is crazy making, first of all. And if I was in the nonprofit world, now I understand even more why the nonprofit fundraisers, when I was trying to raise money, it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, you have to approach everyone so differently. And it was sort of a little bit of a muddle in the beginning for me. But then I realized 
after many, many years of working with lots of donors, that there's actually three different types of donors. And I want to categorize, I categorize those three. And that's what a lot of my teaching is about. And so this is the big idea. uh, I've got my... I've got I've got my <laughs> pen in hand, so I'm going to write these Yay. down. I'm, Yay! Uh, I'm a big fan of the rule of three. So let's yes. let's, let's let's see what you got. <laughs> <laughs> I love thinking in threes. Um, so the first kind of donor is called a sustainer donor. A sustainer donor, I think, is the kind of donor that most people think about when they think about a donor. A sustainer donor cares about the nonprofit. They care about the nonprofit's mission. They probably volunteer at this nonprofit. They love the nonprofit. And they go on the outings. They do all that kind of thing. So they love everything about that nonprofit. They don't tend to do too much micromanaging of the nonprofit. The nonprofit is solely working on the issue they care about. Excuse me. And there's not really a whole lot more going on. It's really cool. Okay. That's a sustainer donor. When a, when, a, when a nonprofit person approaches a donor that they know is a sustainer donor, they're talking about their organization, all the fun outings they have, all the interesting work they're doing, and they pretty much get that sustainer donor. The sustainer donor loves going to the annual meetings. They love all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's a sustainer donor. The second kind of donor yeah. is what I call a campaigner donor. A campaigner donor is very different from a sustainer donor. A campaigner donor cares about an issue, and they see a problem that they feel needs to be solved. They care more about that problem that needs to be solved than they do about you or your organization. They care only about your organization in so much as that organization can solve that problem. So let's use an example. How about we use climate change? Okay, so if there's a donor that cares about climate change and they say, oh my goodness, one of the big issues here around climate change is that our automobiles are fossil fuel dependent and our society now mainly drives cars that are based on gasoline. What I think is the donor is saying needs to happen is a big change. A societal change needs to happen where cars are now electric. This is a big change. Our whole society needs to change. So when you are trying to raise money from this donor, you talk to them about how your organization is working towards electrifying the transportation sector. If that's what your group is doing, of course, you'd never want to force your group to do something it's not already doing. However, you're talking to the donor about the issue, about what you're doing in that issue. Also, you're talking to the donor about other nonprofits that are working on in collaboration with you on this issue, because then you get the donor even more excited to maybe give even more money to that field. So that's a campaigner donor, a donor that wants to change a societal norm. The third kind of donor is a launcher donor. A launcher donor is trying to fill a gap. So what they love doing is they're looking at an issue that they care about. It could be any issue they care about, education, houselessness, you name it. And they're saying, okay, I see that there's all these great nonprofits working in so many great areas, but there's a major 
gap in this area that if it's not filled, we can't, we can't have real good progress. So, excuse me. So with a launcher donor, how you want to approach them is you want to say to them, Hey, we have experience in the issue you care about, but we see that there's not enough work being done in a particular area. And let's say, let me just use an example. Let's say that there's a lot of research that's being done on houselessness across the country and lots of nonprofits are getting that information. However, the nonprofits aren't sharing that information effectively enough and they really want to, but there's no institution that's really focused on sharing this data and information. So that's a gap. And so you talk to the donor about that gap and the donor then goes, okay, well, this is exciting. Let me put money into helping you either create a new organization from scratch or help you fiscally sponsor a new thing so that you can get launched in this particular new area. Usually a launcher donor will do like three to five years of intensive funding and then taper off over time. So you also need to talk to them about your strategy for raising more money around filling this gap. And of course, it has to be a gap that you want to fill too as the nonprofit person. So to me, as someone who works with donors, I try to support donors in all three of those categories, but I also try to make sure that when I'm talking to a nonprofit and I help them pitch what they're talking about to the donors I'm working with, I'll explain it in these terms. I'll be like, okay, this donor I'm working with, they just want to make sure that they're sustainer donors. They love your group. They just want to make sure that you're doing well, that you're getting along well with others, that you have a budget that's sustainable, that kind of thing. Um, And I'll go on and help them with the other two, too, this campaigner or launcher donor, where I'll try to really support the nonprofit in talking to me about how they're trying to get the work done based on the kind of donor I work with. So it's, it's it's really helped me as a device to help people connect more effectively. And that's sort of why I want to talk about it with folks at a broader scale. Okay, so I get the, I totally get the first donor. And the campaigner, I, I I totally see is the is the launcher donor, my my influencer who has. I, I, I'm guessing that my launcher has spheres of influence that perhaps the other two maybe don't, and I'm also thinking that my campaigner donor is probably the less loyal of the three. You, correct you, me, correct me where I'm wrong on, on either of those. Two points. I, you, there's so many great things you just said there to unpack. So the the <laughs> okay. launch, yeah. Let's let's think through this because this is really great. Um, the the campaigner okay. donor. When you say loyal, less loyal of the three. I think, in yeah. one sense, you're correct because they are really only going to focus on changing that societal norm. And so, if your organization either shifts its yes. focus something like that, they're not going to fund you anymore. They'll fund the group that's focused in that area. However, if you happen to be an organization that works in that area and is really committed to it, you're going to find a huge amount of loyalty from that campaigner donor. So like, let's say if you, like I use that example of climate change, if you're an organization that's called something like Climate Solutions, which is actually a real nonprofit (laughs) out there, um, you're going to see, you're going to probably see a lot of support from that campaigner donor over the years 
but you're just going to have to be sure that you're talking about the solutions that they're interested in um, rather than just, oh, come to my annual meeting, that kind of thing. They don't, they don't really want to sit through long meetings. Yeah. So that's going to be, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be the donor that at any point they sense because their loyalty, like you just said, their loyalty is rooted in their commitment to the cause or to the issue that the norm that they're concerned that that's on the front of their mind. So at any point, what's going to throw up a red flag for them is any, any, any suggestion that the mission could be diverging away from that is where their loyalty is going to that. That's going to throw up a red flag for them. Am I right? Yep, exactly. And when I was a nonprofit professional, I would be in board meetings where the board would deliberate around a campaigner donor. They didn't know they were doing this at the time because the categories weren't there. But they'd say, okay, everybody, do we want to just keep working on this campaign because we know there's a bunch of donors out there that want us to work on it? Is it really core to our mission or is it not? And so it can cause some really interesting and hard conversations within the nonprofit itself to make sure that they're true to their mission, even though it looks like maybe campaigner donors are interested in that funding piece. So I love that, Jason. And then for the launcher donor, the launcher donor, I would say um, it's more loyal to the nonprofits because it's leaning on those nonprofits for them to tell that launcher donor where the gaps are. And so it's very likely actually that that launcher donor has also given long-term grants to individual nonprofits. And so they're leaning in on these experts and those experts are saying, hey, there's this gap. We really need it filled. And the launcher is saying, ooh, yay, yeah, let's let's do that. Um, the launcher donor you just also used the word Sybil. Yeah. Sybil, you just you just use the word expert. Help me understand: Are all three of these groups? Because when I hear the word experts, I'm not guessing that the campaign. I may pick on the campaign. I, I probably want to get to know your campaigner more than anybody else. I don't yeah. know that your campaigner ever trust the nonprofit to be the experts perhaps as much as your other two. Am I right? Oh, Jason, this is, you're, you're really astute on all this. Of course, <laughs> this is awesome because I'm figuring this is, you, I'm figuring yeah, you. yeah, 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 totally. And one of the reasons I d- created my course and my, and I'm creating my courses is to sort of help donors that are campaigner donors be better at working with nonprofits. Because also, I think some of the tension that you've heard about out there in the world from nonprofits where they're like, oh, my goodness, funders, just give us the money. Don't, like, micromanage us to death. That's when campaigner donors are going crazy and doing bad stuff, right? You can do it badly. And you actually can end up, if you're a campaigner donor, wasting a lot of money, a lot of time of the nonprofits. And so that's in my course that I'm creating for donors. I'm spending a lot of time there. Um, a lot of times campaigner donors, they, they identify the societal norm they want to change. They identify the problem. They're more wedded to have a solution to the problem than they are to the nonprofit, but they don't have the expertise to understand how to make those changes. And so what they, what they do, what they do, if they do it well, is they then hire experts. So they'll hire an expert who will serve as an intermediary between the campaign donor and the nonprofit. And that expert will help, and this is if they're doing it well, that expert will help connect the dots 
because the campaigner donor, like I said, they usually have full-time jobs. They see a problem. They don't really know how to fix it. And they're not that wedded to the nonprofit directly. So they'll hire these intermediaries. I've served as an intermediary um, on environment and natural resource work because that's where my expertise lies. And I've helped campaigner donors and helped nonprofits navigate this area. Where it goes really badly is when a campaigner donor thinks they know enough about the issue, even though their history is in business or something completely different. And then they just run in to the nonprofit saying, I read two or three articles about the solution. So why don't you all just hop to and create this solution here? And the nonprofit's like, wait a minute, we've spent millions of years on this. We know much better than you do. So when it works well is when the the campaigner donor identifies the problem, but then relies on experts who are intermediaries and also relies on key advisors that can help direct their funding and serve as a connector. That's really, really a, a great way to go about it. Um, yeah, and I don't want to forget to tell you one more thing about the launcher funder too, but let's stick, stick with campaigner funder if you have any more questions there, Jason. Well, I, I, I want to go back to the launcher because I, I was curious to know if the launcher, is the launcher the more inclined to introduce you to their rich neighbor? I love that question. Okay. I want to say, <laughs> I think the campaigner and the launcher donor are both super inclined we'll to, yes. If there's a campaigner donor that's like okay. super into changing a societal norm and all jazzed about it, that's what they're talking about at, at their lunches and their dinners with their friends. And a launcher donor is the same way. If they're trying to launch something and they have a huge investment in it, they're talking to their folks. The sustainer donor is less likely to do that, honestly. They might love the group they're working with and everything else, but they don't have that fire in their belly. With a launcher donor, I wanted to talk about that for a minute more. You should think about a launcher donor also like if you're a business person in the business world, like a venture capitalist, someone who's looking for those cool things that no one's really thought of before, but you're just you're helping launch these neat people thinking about neat things to to go forward and like really move the field forward in a way that maybe wasn't thought of before, outside of the box kind of thinking. And these are the kind of folks that may have been super successful as entrepreneurs themselves in business. And so that's the way they think about it. They think about it like, okay, who are the people doing that hard stuff? Um, and then I actually want to talk about one more piece of this in a sec, but let, let me just stop there because Jason, I see you you might have some questions there. I can, I can see your face. You're looking inquisitive and thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got, okay. Okay. So my launcher is like my venture capitalist type donor. Uh, so I, yeah. I worked with a, I worked with a client for no, I don't know, about a year and a half down in Austin, which is kind of like the Silicon Valley of the South. And, um, and a lot of these parents at this particular private school were, you know, mid forties to early fifties, they had more affluence than, you know, because their startups had got, had gone public and so forth and so forth, but they had not, their charitable giving was very much rooted in this sort of VC innovation, almost like an investment strategy more than it was going to look like charitable giving in any traditional sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm guessing they probably totally. looked like your launcher. Yep, it definitely did. It definitely did. And sometimes launcher funders also overlap with, um, there's, a, there's a bunch of funders that are also actually funding interesting 
companies that are working towards charitable purposes. And they do things called program-related investments and other things. And so, and mission-based investing. And so some of these launcher funders are trying to do in their grant making where they're getting tax deductions and things, um, similar kinds of work with nonprofits. And, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with one of the donors I work with um, recently, and I was asking him about his philosophy in giving. And he was a donor. And tell me, Jason, if you've come across this with folks you work with, too. He was a donor that he came across his wealth because he was in the tech industry, and he got a lot of wealth really fast, but he didn't come from wealth. And he really wasn't interested in identifying with him, in identifying as someone who was a wealthy individual. Um, you wouldn't know he was wealthy at all in, in the way he went about in the world. And so that's how he did his grant making also, is he wanted to help people who were had the fire in their belly, who were trying to launch things, trying to start things up. They may not have almost not even two cents to rub together, but how do you find those people? How do you help them? How do you identify those gaps in the field and get things moving forward? Sort of in a way that he also identified with money, which is he didn't really want to have the second home in, in the fancy place or the jet or anything. He wanted to like be really beside, behind the scenes and then help people who were also trying to do that. It's not necessarily the only way to go, obviously, but but it, it's it's interesting in terms of people really are giving their money away in the way that they see themselves. And that's varied and diverse. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think I think you're going back to your sustainer donor. The sustainer donor is um there's an author I read a number of years, two authors I read. I read this this in graduate school. They called them basically a communitarian. And the communitarian, oftentimes like your sustainer donor, has a tradition that's sort of rooted in um, familiarity and trust and rapport and oftentimes in obviously the community. And so therefore their decision-making process is, is exactly like what you described with your sustainer. It's, it's, it's based more on an organizational level sort of commitment, probably rooted in more relationships rather than a lot of, you know, you're, I'm guessing your sustainer donor is not going to be the one who's going to be all that responsive to KPIs and, you know, it's not going to be all mm -hmm. metric based and right. No, this is exactly the person who, this is the person who's been taught. Yeah. This person has been basically taught in tradition, um, I'm guessing your sustainer donor probably is also the, probably the most likely of the three to have, have been influenced in the church, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of their generosity probably is rooted in a church tradition. Um, whereas perhaps the other two haven't necessarily, and, and going back to that school that I'm referencing in, in Austin, it was a deliberately, very deliberately secular institution who didn't want to have anything to do with the church. And so their behavior was much more rooted in what they were learning in the marketplace, like your other two uh, personalities versus this sustainer. Yeah. I, I love that. I love those conversations. And I think that you do find, I'm not sure if you meant this, Jason, but let's talk about it. The place where there's the most active conversation about these different donors in our society now is between sustainer and sort of, unfortunately, I think it's versus campaigner and launcher type donor. So there's sort of a, a debate right now yeah. around, should you be a sustainer donor and only a sustainer donor? 
Um, and I think that because campaigner and launcher donors have made so many mistakes in the past, um, that and they've ended up that they've ended up causing more time, money, stress, strife than they should. That that's why we're seeing this backlash against campaigner and launcher donors at the moment. But I actually feel that campaigner and launcher donors have a lot to offer if both they learn how to do it in a way with humility and really listening. And then nonprofits know how to pitch to them so that they can capitalize as much as possible, especially, Jason, when we're talking about this new generation of folks who have wealth, who come from these entrepreneurial businesses and think like business people and think like cutting edge folks and want to be engaged even more than going to the annual meeting or going to general outings or just being pitched like a transaction rather than wanting to be, they want to be part of the team. And so how do we bring those folks in while not, not, while not having it be something that's a problem? And that's really why I created those three categories. Yeah, I think there's a, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from with the, with the tension that sort of, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of resentment in the nonprofit community sort of being directed at, well, I don't. I don't know that it's fair for any, for you, or I don't know that it's fair for us to assume that any of the resentment that's sort of brewing. Um, you know, uh, we, we had a lot of conversations here on the podcast about sort of the war on philanthropy and the idea that sort of the undue influence and the control mechanisms that donors create and that sort of stuff. I can totally see the advantages and the disadvantages, both the strengths and weaknesses of. I mean, that sustainer donor in a lot of ways in my mind has probably been far more problematic in quote unquote, sustaining some of the problems that the other two are probably brave. Right, you know, Jason, you know, yeah. you know what you're yes, talking yeah. about, Sybil, mm-hmm. you know, you know what, you know what you're talking about here, Sybil, I bet your, 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 your uh, launcher and your campaign donor are far more risk tolerant than your sustainer donor. Exactly. Jason. Right? Yeah. They're, they're more risk tolerant and, I really love where this conversation is going because the thing that can be really a problem is if all you had in the world were sustainer donors, those are helpful donors for certain things. Yes. You can end up locking sure. into place, locking into place really problematic processes and keeping people from feeling yes. like they can take risks. If you have a campaigner donor or a launcher donor combined with the sustainer donor, you're allowing the groups to take risks. The other thing you're allowing is you're allowing openings for organizations that may not already have access to you to come in. So if you care about an issue, you're always looking for new groups. You're always looking for new things. I I mean, a a societal margin change. If you're a campaigner donor, you're not locked into one group. You're not like year after year after year, the big group that always talks to you, um, you just give to. And so, yeah, the diversity of all this is super, super important as long as we're able to do it in the right way with humility, listening, um, making sure that people are not making decisions that would end up causing more harm than good. And of course, with that power dynamic between donor and nonprofit, that's where it gets a little tougher. And so that's one of the things why I'm doing my courses and trying to talk about it is how do we do this right and not wrong? Um, the other thing I got to tell you, I want to tell you a little story because this is really important, I think. If you're working with a campaigner donor 
Campaigner Donor can really help improve collaborations because what they do is they're looking at an issue and they're trying to break that apart. And they create these trusts, this trust with each individual nonprofit. And the nonprofit, I've had this happen. This is why I want to tell you the story. I've had this happen quite a few times where a nonprofit person who I know super well, because I spend tons of time with folks, a few nonprofit folks have come to me and they said, Sybil, Sybil, can you please call this meeting on protecting land conservation? Because there's three of us groups that aren't seeing eye to eye on this. If I call the meeting, then everyone's going to think I'm trying to like push my agenda on everyone else. If you call the meeting, and maybe you're not even there because you're a funder, but you call the meeting and maybe you contract a facilitator who's not going to tell you the necessary results, but they help. We really need this. We really need this. So because I'm representing a campaigner donor who's caring about land conservation and a particular issue there, I can then quickly give a short, small grant, uh, extra one, probably add on to the top of whatever I'm already giving them so that they can contract this facilitator to help those groups get through a major hurdle. If I was only representing sustainer donors, that scenario most likely wouldn't happen because the sustainer donors are funding the nonprofits year after year. The nonprofit has no reason to say, hey, I need to get along better with XYZ group because they're just going to keep getting your funding every year. So while I don't want to downplay the importance of sustainer donors, they're very important. Groups have to exist. They have to stay alive. They, they're vibrant because of people who are supporting them year after year. But I don't want to diminish the importance of campaigner or launcher donors as well. Can you put some more skin, put some more skin on my launcher donor? Tell me a story about a launcher donor. Because that, that's the one I'm probably having the most difficulty really understanding. I, I know the other two, some of them have driven me nuts, both of the, your, your campaigner and your sustainer. I've known them my entire career. But t- t- tell, me, tell, me, tell me a story about a launcher donor. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and um, I've had a lot of the folks I work with, they're really anonymous. So, but I'm going to do like general stories and I have so many yes, clients sure. and other folks yes, that, totally. you know, you'll never know who I'm talking about. But let's talk specifically about land conservation. Right, yes. Okay, so um, one thing that that a community of folks noticed, and I live out in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest, and a community of folks in the nonprofit sector noticed that in the agricultural sector in Oregon, um, we are looking at potentially a large number of farmers who are about to retire. And that may mean that a lot of farmland is about to change hands. And they were looking at, in our area, about a little over 10 million acres. That's a lot of acreage for us. And so um, the first thing, when I did a bunch of interviews for this one donor who was interested as a launcher donor, they said, I want to do agriculture, but I want to find the gap and I want to fill it. So when I started doing the interviews around this, I found that there really was no nonprofit that was exclusively focused on this problem. A lot of nonprofits were telling me this is something they're worried about. And farmers were too, because they were saying, look, how are we going to support the next generation of farmers? Land prices are so expensive, but the Willamette Valley is so fertile. How do we deal with this problem? And then all of a sudden, everybody that I interviewed pointed to this one individual person who was thinking about this problem day and night. 
And her net, I can tell you her name because I actually yeah. interviewed her on my podcast. Her name was Nellie McAdams. I have to tell you, it was funny. Everyone was like, there's this woman thinking about this, Nellie McAdams. Everyone was. So I met with her and then she's like, yep, I've been thinking about this nonstop. I've been working with various groups trying to think about it, but there was no one group. So then I found working for this launcher donor, a nonprofit that was willing to house Nellie so that she could develop both the scientific research with the universities. So we also contracted some universities to, through her support to like do the research about what was the real impact of this. People were saying it, but like, do we really know it? So we got the baseline information. And then over time, what happened was a few launcher type donors said, oh my gosh, what, what's needed is a new agricultural land trust in Oregon that specifically focuses on how do we support this transition of change of hands of farmland so that it can stay in farmers' hands because, of course, there's a lot of development pressure for a lot of other things, and we really value our agricultural history here in Oregon. And so what's happened now is that this original donor I worked with that was a launcher partnered with a donor that was actually even wealthier, and, and they put in even more funds and a few other donors, also launcher donors, pooled funds. And now Nellie is the executive director of the Oregon Agricultural Land Trust, a brand new nonprofit. She has about three years of larger running room, multi-millions of dollars, to both work on purchasing and acquiring and working with farmers on transition and all those different pieces. And then her money does scale down after about three to five years. And so she's actively fundraising to keep her organization going to diversify her membership. So the beginning started with two or three larger donors as launchers, but it took a lot of research first, right? Um, to figure it out and a lot of active work. But I'm super proud of that example because now Nellie is just doing what she loves to do. She's got the fire in her belly. She's like an entrepreneur, nonprofit entrepreneur who's made it happen and has a ton of respect in the community. And I love that. But there's lots of stories like that. So are my are my launchers my community organizers? Because it sounds like a lot of what you just shared was the donors differently. Because I don't know that you've described either of the other two personalities as having organizing. My campaigner is very issue focused. My sustainer is very loyal to the, you know, to the organization itself. But my, my launcher is the person who's organizing other people. Is, am I, am I, am I, am I connecting the dots correctly? Jason, I think, I think you are, but with an added piece because the campaigner donor a lot of times when there's a campaign and a major societal norm that needs to change, that coalition that's working on that yeah. through a campaign sometimes needs to hire a campaign director. And so, but it is different because usually yeah. it comes from the organizations and it's a pretty high level, like they do public polling and they do sophisticated research and then they bring someone in to like do their three-year plan. A launcher is very much more from the community and the community saying, here's the gap that needs to be filled. And you're trying to figure out how to fill it from the, from the bottom up, really. Yeah. Love that. Well, it would seem to me like your launcher is more, uh, it would seem to me like your launcher is more rooted in relationships 
they yep. they both know how to leverage relationships, but the launcher is probably more re- rooted in genuine relationships, whereas the campaigner is almost almost would perhaps be accused of sort of seeing it as a means to an end. Um, yep. They're, yep. They're, Jason. they're just so mm-hmm. damn focused on that cause. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's where the campaigner donor can get into trouble. Right. And that's where when, when we're talking about these larger societal debates around philanthropy and how to approach and work with nonprofits, I think it's the campaigner donor that gets hit more than the launcher or sustainer donor. But then at the same time, I have seen the beauty of campaign donors. Um, really, when it works well, it works super well. And it's it works well when the campaigner donor is is really caring about an issue and leveraging tons of dollars for that issue and helping move it forward in a way that no one nonprofit could. A campaigner donor can sort of see the field in a way that one person in the field can't because they're interviewing so many different people out there. So when it works well, it works really well. The thing is, is that people don't usually hear about it when it works well, because the campaigner donor is enough behind the scenes that it's really empowering and supporting the nonprofits to get to the end result. When it doesn't work well, it can be pretty public. So that's the bummer about the campaigner donor side of things. Um, Yeah, so that is the the big idea. But I have, yeah, let's keep talking. Yay. What question okay. do you have for me? So you're you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Yeah, you're in the Pacific Northwest. So let's talk about our friends up in Seattle. So is the um, which box do we which which box do we put Bill Gates in? I don't I I don't want to speak for him, but my outside observation of him is that <laughs> okay. he is can't he yeah. likes to do campaigning and launching. Um, at least those are the visible outward. Okay. projects that he is working on because he is seeing these major societal norms he feels need to be changed and he's working on those issues. Um, and right. so, you know, talking to him about that work, if I was raising money from him, I would be talking about the societal norms that need to be changed. And I would be looking at exactly the issues he cares about and try to talk about how my nonprofit is working on those. That's what my my impression okay. is of him. And then some of the and and he works he he has not overlapped as much with my direct work, but some of the other folks up in Seattle yeah. are both my clients and folks that I've worked with there. And they definitely seemed, at least in the areas that I've been working on with them, more sort of in the realm of campaigner and launcher, because they're really interested in moving the needle on something and feeling like they're making a big difference with their legacy and their their money is substantial. And so they really want to help the world, change the world, make a difference in the world. And that's when you start leaning more into campaigner and launcher funding. Yeah. 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 Um, Mackenzie Scott is Mackenzie Scott, a sustainer donor. Yeah. 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 She, um, that, that's a really interesting conversation is she is leaning more into the sustainer type donor format and it's really gotten me thinking a lot about this issue. Um, I mean, she's not the first, of course, and there are so many. Um, and that's a great example of, it's wonderful she's doing that in the sustainer donor side of things. But I do worry, what is she missing by not thinking about also campaigning and launching? 
And for ease of discussion, I've said there's three different types of donors, but as you know, people are people and they do do sometimes sustainer, sometimes campaigner type funding. I'm saying as long as you're clear with the approach um, you take, you can do a couple of different ways because there's some benefits. It's just you have to be really clear when you're directing funds that are going to campaign funds versus sustaining. And by only doing sustaining donating with that much money at stake, you could inadvertently lock things in in ways and cause tensions in ways that you never meant to. And so I do worry about that approach as a sole approach. I want to give you a story about a family I work with and how they navigate this. So when they first brought me on, they were sustainer donors. They gave year after year funding to big national environmental organizations that were wonderful groups doing good work. They brought me on because they were saying, we want to we wanted maybe make more of an impact also in the Pacific Northwest, which is where they live. And they, want to, they wanted to change societal norms. For them, it was climate change and habitat protection. So what they did was they kept their portfolio for sustaining specific groups they liked year after year, but then they carved off a chunk of their portfolio every year for campaign donations. They expressly said that. And they said, Sybil, Mm -hmm. you manage as the intermediary, because I'm the one that has the experts in that that field, you manage the campaign donations. Mm -hmm. And for the campaign donations, they said, we understand they've got to be nimble. You don't necessarily, you can like do rolling applications. You don't have to like do the once, you know, they met once a year for the other donations that they did. And you can be out in the field and make sure that you're funding things more quickly. And it's specifically on goals, outcome driven. But we're not, they said they're not going to give up on the sustained donor, sustaining donors. So it was really nice for me whenever I meet with a nonprofit for them, I say, okay, nonprofit X, you are, you're sustained by this organization year after year. And there's a trustee that they're connected with directly. But tell me if you have any specific campaigns you're working on, because I can add money on the top of that. And I can also network with some of the other clients I have or other donors I, ha- I know, um, because this campaign may be something you need additional funding for. And so they, they love that because it's like both, both and, but I'm able to explain it. And I love the way the family did that because they were so expressly um, doing both things and they're not missing out. On, on either one or the other. So that that's what I, I'm so glad you asked that, Jason. You're a great question asker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sybil, I have had your attention. You've had mine for 45 minutes, and we sort of lose our listeners at a Oh, I didn't even point. notice. I, I didn't even notice. Mi- I was having so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to lose the opportunity to make sure that people can find you. Now, you're launching a course. We're broadcasting this around the time. You're launching a course. I'm guessing on these three personalities. So can you take the next five minutes and summarize sort of what this is going to look like and then tell people where to go so they can sign up for this thing? Yeah, great. I love it. So yes, I'm doing a course specifically for nonprofit professionals. Of course, I also am developing a course for donors so that they can 
do campaign funding and launch funding effectively. But I'm launching a course specifically for nonprofits who are your listeners, it sounds like. And it is going, you can find out all the information to sign up for it on my website at www.doyourgood.com. So my business is called Do Your Good. And so that's how you find me. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram with the handle Do Your Good. And I also have a weekly podcast series myself, and that's on all the different streaming sites. And you just type in Do Your Good or my name, Sybil Ackerman Munson, and you can figure find find me in all those places. <laughs> so Sybil, who is the person? One of the things I like to ask is the last question we wrap these things up. Who's the person you're most excited about signing up for this class? So uh, let's say Sally or John signs up for this thing. You, you know, class starts in two weeks or whenever it does. Who's that? Who is that person? What are you, what are you most excited about learning about that individual? The, the person that, oh gosh, so many different folks flood into my head, but the best person, <laughs> there's all, oh gosh, not even a best person. The person who I really want to support is <laughs> the executive director of a smaller nonprofit uh-huh. that does not already have yeah. a huge development team. And they want to be able to access sustainer, campaigner, and launcher funders because they don't have their huge team behind them. And it doesn't take too much. As long as you can understand sort of this code, then you you can get an airing with a campaign donor as long as you know how to talk to them. And so that's my ideal person in this nonprofit course is somebody who really wants, is eager to learn, um, and doesn't have that huge network already uh, in their own organization. But I welcome anybody to come. Yeah, I could, I could, yes, I I could, I could, I could definitely, I could definitely see an executive director signing up because that's that person who you're describing, who wants to sort of know how to identify and discern who these three people are. But it's also that young fundraising leader who's largely in the same sort of quote unquote executive seat, making key decisions, um, I can, I can even think of some of my most, most recent guests who are sort of in a solo, uh, development shop who are similarly expected by their CEO and by their board to, to, in many ways, discern the difference between these two types of donors. And Jason, thank you for that. Chart, I lo- yeah. Yeah. I then, love that. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, Sybil, this has been a wonderful conversation. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have my brain probably simmering for the next 48 hours on who my three different donors are <laughs> because Great. I have known them all. Um, Yay. I'm still looking. I'm still looking to find more of my. I'm still looking to find more of my launcher donors. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look I'm gonna look through my uh, quote unquote Rolodex of of donors that I've gotten to know over the years and see who I put in that box. Um, Sybil, it has certainly been a pleasure. You are always welcome back. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jason. This has been a delight. I love talking to you about all this stuff. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. 
To avoid this all-too-familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.